The following message, entitled Seven Words from the Cross, was given by Mark Altrogi on March 24, 2013, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Welcome, everybody. My name's Mark. I'm also one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church. Thanks for coming this morning. You guys ready for the snow we're going to get tonight? Hey, I'm not causing it. I heard we're going to get four to eight inches. Sort of makes me feel like singing that old Beatles song. Little darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Does it seem like winter's been longer this year? Okay. Alright. Well, next Sunday, next Sunday is Easter. And it's the day we celebrate Jesus' resurrection after His death on the cross. And Friday of this week, traditionally called Good Friday, is the day, as you know, Jesus gave up His life on the cross to pay for sins. And as Jesus hung on the cross, He uttered seven famous sayings. And this morning, we're going to take a brief look at each of those sayings. So the title of this morning's message is Seven Words from the Cross. Seven Words from the Cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we want to thank You for what You did for us. And we just ask that You would please, by Your Holy Spirit, open our minds and our hearts to understand more of what You did for us this morning so that we will be grateful, so that we will imitate You in some of these ways that You spoke and acted. And so, Lord, that we will just be filled with Your praises for what You've done for us. Lord, we cannot even fathom what You did on the cross. But please, open our minds by Your Holy Spirit to understand more. We ask in Jesus' name, and Lord, I also ask, we ask, that if there are any in here this morning who have not yet put their hope and trust in You, that, that this would be a morning You would help them to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. One man said that those who suffered crucifixion were usually criminals or captives in warfare, and their outcries were mainly either curses or complaints. How different we are going to see Jesus' cries were from the cross. Jesus was neither a criminal nor a captive in warfare. He gave Himself as a voluntary offering. A voluntary sacrifice for sins. His outcries were neither curses nor complaints. Instead, He forgave His enemies. 
He assured a repentant criminal of salvation. He provided for his mother. He, he showed us that he bore God's wrath in our place as a substitute for us. He displayed his human nature. He proclaimed his victory and he committed his spirit to his father. And he spoke these words for us. He wasn't just speaking them with no purpose in mind. Everything God does, He does for a reason. Every word He speaks, He speaks for a reason. Every one of these words, He spoke for us to hear. As if we were standing at the cross hearing these words. And they are intended to reveal who He is and what He did for us and what He will do for us. These words are intended to affect our lives. Like they affected many of the people standing at the cross. And so the first word He spoke is a word of forgiveness. The word of forgiveness. And so in Luke 23, verse 33 and 34, it says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on His right and one on His left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide His garments. Now Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning. And He hung there for six hours on the cross. He died at three in the afternoon. So He would have spoken these words in the morning as He was hanging there, nailed to the cross, under the scorching sun. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus practiced what He preached. In Matthew 5.44, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we could easily say, Oh yeah, oh that's easy for you to say, Jesus. Yeah, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Oh sure, that's easy for you to say. But when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, being there, nailed there unjustly, unjustly accused of, of things He didn't do, unjustly arrested, innocent, the, the only person who didn't deserve to die, hanging there on the cross, mocked, spit on, having been tortured, Roman soldiers who could care less, Roman soldiers who were sadistic, and actually enjoyed what they were doing, now sitting underneath the cross, gambling for His garment. And He forgives His enemies. He prays for them and asks His Father to forgive them. This prayer applied to these soldiers that were sitting there. This prayer also applied to Pontius Pilate who had acted out of selfishness and weakness, knowing Jesus was innocent and still turning Him over. This prayer also applied to the Jewish leaders and people who crucified Him. Now, how was Jesus able to forgive those who had tortured Him and nailed Him to a cross? By continually entrusting Himself to His Father. Now, this is very important for us. This is very important. We, we will not be able to forgive those who sin against us if we do not do this. 
And so 1 Peter 2, 21-23 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. This is how we too can forgive those who sin against us by entrusting ourselves to Him who judges justly. Now, think about this. Only God knows someone's heart. Only God can weigh someone's motives. Only God knows the measure of someone's sin when they sin against you. When when we're sinned against, we can think we understand everything about it. Oh, that person is just... He just was totally hateful to me. Well, at times someone might not have intended to sin against you. They might not have intended to destroy you. They might not have intended to hurt you. They may have, they may have been weak. They may have been having a horrible day and said something to you in anger. Someone may sin against us, but we don't know what they've been through in their lives that would play a part in their sin. Only God knows a person's heart. Only God knows a person's circumstances. Only God can, can measure out what that sin means exactly. And so we have to keep entrusting ourselves to Him who judges justly. And so Jesus did that. And so He asked God to forgive the Roman soldiers, Pontius Pilate, and all who crucified Him. Now this doesn't mean they were not responsible. They were responsible, yet they did not realize the enormity of what they're doing. So in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, when Peter addresses the Jews who had delivered Jesus up to be crucified, Peter says this in Acts 3, 14, 15, and 17. He says, But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So there's their responsibility. There is their sin. But look at this. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. And so Jesus could understand. And when He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He didn't mean they weren't responsible, but He meant they didn't know the enormity of what they were doing. And so Jesus took that into consideration and He he said, Father, would You please forgive them? How willing Jesus is to forgive us of our sins. If, If Jesus was willing to forgive the soldiers who spit on Him and slapped Him in the face and put a crown of thorns on His head and then hit those crowns with rods and they kneeled before Him in mock homage and they clothed Him with a purple robe and then they stripped Him, tearing open all His wounds again, and then they nailed Him to the cross. If Jesus was willing to ask His Father to forgive them, He's willing to forgive us of our sins. He's willing to forgive you of anything you have done if you will come to Him. If you will turn to Him. 
There is no sin you have committed that is too big for Jesus to forgive. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're just kind of checking this stuff out and you think, boy, I have done some big sins in my life. There is no sin Jesus would not be willing to forgive. If He was willing to ask His Father to forgive people for killing the Son of God, He would be willing to forgive you if you come to Him humbly and ask Him to forgive you. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian and you've, you've fallen, we all fall, we all fail from time to time, maybe you have fallen in serious ways, well, God will forgive you if you come to Him. There's no sin He's not willing to forgive. His divine blood shed on the cross can cleanse us and wash us clean of every sin. I, this shows He's hanging on the cross and He's willing to forgive people. He is so willing. His arms are outstretched to us this morning. His arms are outstretched to you saying, please, come to Me. Don't let your sin hold you back from coming to Me. I'm willing to forgive you. Do you believe that? We need to be willing to believe that because as we heard earlier, we can feel like, oh, this is too much. God could never receive me. But Jesus' words show us. And not only did Jesus forgive, but He set an example for all of us to follow. And so we see Stephen, when Stephen is stoned in the book of Acts chapter 7, in verse 59 it says, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. See, Stephen was imitating the one who had forgiven him. And God calls us to forgive. God calls us to imitate Jesus. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy to do this when we're hurting. I'm not saying it's easy when someone has sinned against us, especially if they don't even ask our forgiveness. I'm not saying this is something we can do in our own strength, but we can seek Jesus for the strength to do this. We can seek Him and He will help us. He will help us do it. And so Colossians 3.13 says, "...bearing with one another..." And if one has a complaint against a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If Jesus, if Jesus, who had been condemned when he was innocent, treated this way when he didn't deserve it, could forgive, then we must also forgive with his help. The second word from the cross is the word of salvation. In Luke 23.43, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, today you will be with Me in paradise. Now Jesus had been crucified between two criminals and they were most likely murderers. And this was actually intentional because it was an insult. And so the people who crucified Him put Him right between these two murderers to just 
heighten his shame. And at first, the, the, both of these both of these criminals were taunting Jesus as well. And so Matthew twenty seven forty four says, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So both of these guys are are mocking Jesus and and reviling him. But then later, one of them repents. And in Luke 23.39, it says one of the criminals who were hanged railed at Him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked Him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly. He said, "We, We deserve to die. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This criminal, at the last minute of his life, God opened his eyes. In one minute, he is reviling Jesus. And shortly after that, something happens. God opened His eyes. And He saw Jesus. He, he's hanging there, cursing Jesus. And then He hears Jesus say, Father, forgive them. And He's probably thinking, what, what kind of a man is this? And He sees Jesus patiently bearing the mocking in, of, of others. And He's... He's not reviling back. He's not cursing back. He's saying, what kind of man is this? And he he sees that this man has done nothing wrong. Somehow he saw the innocence of Jesus. And then somehow he saw that Jesus was a king because he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Somehow God had given him faith. To see that Jesus was a king of a kingdom, not of this world. And somehow he realized that he deserved condemnation. And it says he began to fear God because he asked the other man, do you not fear God? And then he cried out and he asked Jesus to save him. He said, Jesus, remember me. He didn't just assume Jesus would. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He asked Jesus. And Jesus, I love this, Jesus didn't say, too late. You were mocking me five minutes ago. You're just saying that because you're desperate. That's probably what I would have said. Oh, you're not sincere. But Jesus is so willing to forgive. One commentator I read calls this last-minute faith. It is never too late to believe in Jesus. You may feel like you've done too much and that it's too late for you, but it is never too late to turn to Jesus. Never too late. The Bible warns us not to wait Don't put it off. Don't just say, oh, I can sin all I want because later on I'm going to turn to Jesus. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. But what it's saying is, you may feel like you've done too much and it's too late, but it's never too late to turn to Jesus. 
It's never too late as, as, a, as a non-Christian to turn to Jesus. It's never too late as a Christian to turn to Jesus. And Jesus is a King. He's not just the Savior. He is a King. And we must turn to Him as a King. And so the repentant criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, he's saying, I want to be in your kingdom. I want you to be my King. Because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is ruling over all things. He is ruling over the universe. He is ruling over heaven and hell. He's ruling over every angel and every demon. He is the King of kings seated on His throne. And we have to receive Him as King of kings. We can't just say, Jesus, forgive my sins, but I'm going to keep living my life the way I am. I'm just going to keep ruling my own life. I'm going to keep doing what I want. No! He will forgive us when we come to Him in faith and receive Him as King of kings and Savior who paid for our sins. And when we do, we can know that we will be with Jesus forever in paradise. Jesus guaranteed it. He said, this day, this day, you'll be with Me in paradise. That just means He was going to be with Jesus in heaven doesn't mean there's some kind of intermediate place we go. Someday Jesus, the Bible says, is going to return and create a new heaven and a new earth. And He's going to restore Eden to the earth. And heaven and earth will be the same place. It will be heaven on earth. And we'll be with Jesus in paradise. Well, the third word is the word of relationship. I hope I can get through this one because I started weeping when I was studying it. <clears throat> John 19, But standing by the cross of Jesus were His mother and His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved, which was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I cannot even imagine what Mary was feeling as she saw her son Jesus hanging on the cross. She must have been filled with love for him and incredible sadness. And she must have longed to hear a word from Him before He died. One last word from my son before he dies. And Jesus speaks so tenderly to her. And I was thinking, think of all the memories that probably came flooding into Mary's mind. 33 years earlier, she's thinking of this time an angel appeared to her, told her she was going to have this child. And then she probably thought about the, the difficult journey to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus in the manger. Probably thought of His boyhood years in their home at Nazareth. Probably thought back on the time He was in the temple and, and they couldn't find Him and they went back. She found Him in the temple and He said, I had to be about my father's business. 
She probably thought about the day he left her home to start his ministry. Now in these last moments, as she's standing there, Jesus provides for his mother. I was thinking, even when Jesus is dying, he's thinking of others. He was thinking of his mother and how she was going to make it in life. And, and he provided a home for her. He was thinking about her well-being. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he was thinking of you and me. He was thinking of our well-being. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for others. He did it for us. In the midst of suffering horrific pain and dying, he was thinking of his mother's needs and our needs. And so, that, like that song we sang this morning, that, that new song, wow, that was such a good song. Jesus will certainly provide for you. Jesus will certainly provide for me. He will certainly care for our needs. He was thinking of His mother's needs as He hung on the cross. Do you think He won't meet your needs? He was thinking of our needs. He was thinking of our greatest need, salvation. But do you think He won't meet our other needs? And so Romans 8.31-32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If God the Father gave His most precious gift, Jesus, will He not provide lesser things? And so this just shows us the character of God. Our generous God. Our gracious God. Who longs to meet our needs. And then the fourth word that Jesus cried was the word of abandonment. In verse 45 of Matthew 27, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening here? Jesus was bearing the sins of everyone who would ever come to Him. Millions and millions of sins heaped upon Him. God had transferred all the sins of everyone who would ever call on Jesus onto His Son. And was now pouring out divine justice on Jesus. Punishing those sins. The wrath of God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus so bore our sins, so identified with so many sins that, that it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that He became sin. For our sake, He made Him to be sin. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus literally became sin. It just means this is how much He identified with our sins. That the Father looked upon Him and just saw one big mass of sin. 
And Habakkuk 1.13 says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. God looks at sin and He, he, is, he abhors it. It is loathsome to Him. And, and He will not look upon sin. And so, as Jesus so identified with our sins and so took our sins upon Himself, the Father, in, in some mysterious way, in some sense that I, I can't understand and we can't understand, the Father turned away and, and forsook Jesus. Even though, in one sense, Jesus never stopped being God, never stopped being part of the Trinity. So, I, it's a mystery but in some sense, Jesus was forsaken. And God transferred our sins onto Jesus as if He had personally committed them. At least we can say that in Jesus, at that moment, He had no sense of God's fellowship at all. He had no sense of God's love at all. All He could sense was the wrath of God. And the only way He could express Himself was quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And so then, at noon, a deep darkness engulfs the land for three hours. And darkness in the Bible is always a symbol of judgment and, and wickedness. And God's judgment on wickedness. Remember, he, he sent darkness to engulf the land of Egypt as a judgment on their gods. And it says in, it says in um, Zephaniah, 115, a day of wrath is that day. This is the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And so, the darkness was the judgment of God. And Jesus hung alone in the darkness, enduring the judgment of God. And that's what that word means when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And one commentator I read said this, The very word forsaken is one of the most tragic in all human speech. What calamities are conjured up by this word? A man forsaken of his friends. A wife forsaken by her husband. A child forsaken by its parents. But a creature forsaken by its Creator. A man forsaken of God. Oh, this is the most frightful of all. This is the evil of all evils. Jesus did that for us so that we who turn to Him would never be forsaken. Again, that song we sang this morning, His love goes on and on. It won't ever dwindle. It won't ever go away. It's we will never be forsaken. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsaken or forsake you. Jesus was forsaken so that we will never be. Isn't that good news? We will never be forsaken because of what He did for us. And the word of distress comes next. And in John 19.28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. I thirst. Now earlier they had offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, which was a sedative, and that was intended to take away pain, and he had refused it. Probably Jesus had probably had nothing to drink at all since since the since the supper, the last supper the night before. 
Because he went from there to Gethsemane and he had a, a prayed an agonizing hour and he was sweating great drops of blood. I mean, already he's losing bodily fluids. Then Judas and the temple guard show up, drag him before Caiaphas, where he's condemned by this kangaroo court in the middle of the night. And in the morning they drag him before Pilate. And Pilate gives orders for him to be scourged. Then he's led across the city to Herod and he's scourged again. And then he's dragged back across the city to Pilate. Then he's made to carry his cross until he can't do it any longer through Jerusalem under the morning sun where the Roman soldiers nail him to the cross, hang him up in the scorching heat. He hangs there for six hours. God pours out His wrath. At this point, He's near the end. He's lost almost all His blood lost almost all his bodily fluids, and, and cries out, I thirst. This is a heartbreaking picture. The Creator of the universe. The One who is the fountain of life. The One who said, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. The One who said in John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And this just shows... This shows Jesus' human nature like nothing else. He had a real body. He suffered real pain. He suffered real thirst. He took on human nature. And He did that for us. And He can sympathize with our suffering. So it says in Hebrews 4:15 and 16, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so Jesus, we can say Jesus, you have been through anything that I will go through. So I'm coming to you for help. And then he cries out the word of triumph. And it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, what was finished? What was finished? The work his father had given him. His mission. The cross was the goal of his whole life. The whole mission of Jesus was to come and die. To pay for our sins. To purchase people for God. And so, it is finished. wasn't the helpless cry to say, oh, it's, it's done. It's, wa- it's washed up. No, this is a victory cry. It is finished. Oh, I wish I could hear that. I wish, I wish we could hear how Jesus said it. He cried it out loudly. The sour wine He had just, just taken gave, gave Him probably enough of a refreshment in His throat that He could cry out loud. He said, I have finished my mission. He paid for sins once and for all. That's why Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His work for you is finished. That's why Philippians 1.6, Paul can say, I'm confident that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Because He purchased our entire salvation. He didn't just purchase enough to get us forgiven so that we could start to be Christians and then somehow we finish it on our own. Jesus purchased our entire 
redemption. So he cries out this victory cry. His victory is complete. He has paid for all the sins of all his people. He has defeated sin. Someday he will banish sin completely from the earth. Someday there will be no more temptations and we won't fall into sin anymore. But we can begin to live in Christ's victory now. We can begin to turn to Him now and gain victory over sin because He defeated it at the cross. And He'll give us the power to get increasing victory in our lives. And this means that someday, Satan will be banished too. Because Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. He has conquered death. And therefore, all who come to Him will live forever and ever in heaven, free from all the effects of sin like sadness and sickness and disease. And in His final words, the word of reunion, Luke 23.46, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. And this is, this is not a request. He's not saying, Father, please take me home. This is an announcement. This is an announcement. His death was voluntary. His coming was voluntary. His death was voluntary. In John 10, 17 and 18, He says, For this reason the Father loves Me, because I lay down My life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me. I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from My Father. And so even His last act, He's doing what His Father, the charge He had received from His Father to lay down His life, Take it up again. So now he is now laying down his life, his last act. And he says, I'm laying down my life. You're not taking it from me. I came to save you. I came voluntarily for you. It's not an accident. It's not like I got too big and too important and the Romans had to stop me. I laid down my life for you. Isn't that encouraging? How much does Jesus love us? He loves you. He loves me so much. He was willing to do that voluntarily for us. And we can entrust ourselves to our Heavenly Father. We, we don't get to choose like Jesus. We can't say, I, I, I now give my spirit to, to God. That's up to God. He takes us when it's our time. But we can entrust ourselves. And when believers fall asleep, finally... They fall into the arms of love. But only believers in Jesus Christ can entrust their spirits to their Heavenly Father when they die. It's very fearful. I can't imagine how fearful it is for unbelievers when they die. Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so one commentator said, instead of falling in the arms of love, they will fall into the hands of justice. And so, again, I just appeal to any of you who have not turned to Jesus. He's reaching out to you. He's opening His arms. He's saying, I love you. I'm willing to forgive you. I voluntarily gave my life for you. So come to Me. And for the rest of us who have received Jesus, let's go this week and let's just live in joy Knowing how much Jesus loves us. Knowing how much He is for us. 
knowing how much He has forgiven us and how much He's reached out to us and loves us. Let's stand and pray. And Since I went a few minutes longer, maybe we'll just finish with prayer right now. Lord Jesus, Lord, we just love You and thank You for all You've done for us. And thank You for Your incredible love that never will leave us or forsake us. Lord, we just ask You to to help us this week to meditate on Your love for us and to give You thanks and praise. And Lord, let Your Word comfort us and encourage us and build us up this week. And we want to give You praise all week long for what You've done for us. In Your name, Jesus. Amen.